How's it going, and Happy New Year, everybody. This is Chris. Uh, welcome to episode 93 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, I don't know what's going on with my throat. I think I'm in uh, just one of those weird, you know, ear, nose, and throat sort of uh, situations like I was in a few months ago here. Feels like I've been talking a lot, but I haven't. It's been uh, rather quiet on the uh, on the home front here. I haven't really been doing a whole lot of recording my voice on things outside of, uh, outside of this show, so don't know why my voice... Feels and probably sounds very tired, but uh, we'll do the best we can here. Today, we're going to be kicking off four straight episodes of Dawn of X Wave 2. And we're going to start with our, uh, our least favorite of the bunch here, Wolverine, Volume 7, Number 4. And this one had an October 2020 cover date. The story is called The Red Tavern, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Victor Bogdanovich, or Bogdanovic. Colors, Matthew Wilson. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X is Hickman. Edits, we got a bunch. Robinson with Lauren Amaro. White with Mark Basso. And Sobolski. Uh, cover price, $3.99. This one went on sale August 19th, 2020. Well, I, I guess I can actually say August 19th of last year at this point. How about that? Anyway, let's get right into it here. We pick up right where we left off last issue. Now, we could talk about things like pacing, considering we are talking about the vampire story, which was introduced in Wolverine number one. It was the second half of that uh, double-sized issue, which made me think that these stories were happening kind of concurrently, but I guess we're about to find out that they're not, because, uh, and I don't know when that story from issue one took place, but clearly it, it was in the past at some point. Because we pick up right where we left off from issue three here with uh, Wolverine meeting with the Quiet Council to be brought to task for swiping Magneto's helmet. If you remember, he did get Magneto drunk, took his helmet so he could sneak onto that weird Russian Krakoa thing and uh, fight a bunch of Russian people. You know, that was kind of the thing. The scene's a little cringy. Uh, Charles tries to reason with Logan, telling him, you know, why they need to work together. And Wolverine pretty much ignores him and makes a comment about how, you know, sometimes the ends justify the means. As in to say, everything worked out, so quit complaining. Then, you know, he gives Magneto back his helmet, and Magneto puts it on his head. And as he does so, Wolverine lets him know that he had used it for a toilet. That's another one of those lines that I'm sure started with the question of, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if... dot dot dot... And once again, the answer is no. No, that's not funny. Wolverine peed in Magneto's helmet? What is he? What is he? Five years old? This is stupid. From here, we go to our roll call. 
Wolverine, Magneto, who we won't see again, Professor X, who we also won't see again, and Omega Red, who I think is supposed to be a surprise, but here we are. Uh, he's also on the cover, so what are you, what are you going to do? Uh, double page spread of creds, then an info page. And I think it was Damien who said uh, before our Christmas break that Benjamin Percy might need an intervention when it comes to how many words he tries to cram into his info pages, because this is a shining example of exactly that. Uh, it's long, it's dull, and it's got a signature in Cyrillic. So is this Mikhail from the X-Force story that we're reading? Uh, maybe it's Omega Red, maybe it's Colossus? I feel like we've got a lot of prominent Russians uh, rushing around. Uh, what's most unfortunate about this is I, I don't even care who it is. Um, let's get back to comics here. We're up in rural Canada. It's a desolate area where Logan likes to visit with some regularity. You see, in this area, there's a bar, the Red Tavern. It's a really nasty place, a place you probably would never want to dock in the doorway of, but for someone like Wolverine, it's cozy enough. It's probably got that, uh, you know, casino carpet and butt smell, I'm guessing. Just looking at it, it's it's pretty uh, skeevy. Anyway, Wolverine enters, and the barman warns him that there's a big storm coming. So if Wolverine decides to stay, he's going to have to bunker down because they're probably about to be snowed in. Wolverine pops like five bucks and quarters into a jukebox, and he plays Whiskey Bent and Hellbound by Hank Williams Jr. Not a song I'm familiar with at all, but uh, one that another patron of this joint is not overly fond of. And he lets Logan know this by, uh, just like you do here, he breaks his pool cue over the back of his head. Naturally, this doesn't have much of an effect uh, it's enough to cause the barkeep to cock his shotgun from behind the counter and attempt to slow the escalation of this scene. Wolverine then headbutts the fellow, which bloodies his nose. The, the other guy, that is. The dude then wanders into the bathroom to, you know, clean himself up, right? Um, Wolverine asks the barman what he can tell him about his would-be assailant, and the barman shrugs. Doesn't know a thing about him. Logan notes that uh, he had a familiar scent that he just couldn't place. Just then, a police officer bursts into the joint, and he's all sorts of freaked out. He relays a story about seeing some sort of creature on the road. Now, there's a creature that he'd spooked with his headlights, but a, one creature that left a destroyed deer carcass behind. The officer, Jack Peterson, suggests that the only animal that can inflict this sort of damage would be a grizzly bear, but a grizzly bear wouldn't be able to flee the scene as fast as this thing did. Now, I don't want to pick nits here, because you know, I'm, I'm actually quite enjoying this issue up to this point, but we are in the Marvel Universe, right? I mean, there are critters, creatures, and monsters all over the place. Uh, Marvel Earth has dealt with, like, 85 flavors of alien invasion. That, and that, like, most of that's this year. And, I mean, we're about to deal with some symbiote stuff as well, so... We probably shouldn't try to make sense of, sense of this, right? Uh, again, not to pick nits. It's just hard to forget that this story takes place in, the f in a fantastical world where stuff like this happens. Anyway, we next get a good look at the other two patrons of this bar, and one looks like the Joker without his clown paint, and the other is a creepy old lady with three teeth in her head. The latter decides to start chatting our hero up, and she asks if he'll buy her a drink and or propositioner. After all, she's got, quote, three teeth and nothing to lose. 
I'm not sure how that comment actually works. Like, what does one thing have to do with the other? I, I mean, I guess in case we wanted an exact tooth count on this old bag, I guess we got one? Okay. Wolverine asks her if they'd ever met. And he tells her that uh, if so, she'll have to fill him in because his memory's, you know, all Swiss cheesed. He then begins to zone out, and he uh, gets all sorts of uh, out of sorts. He excuses himself to head into the bathroom to maybe splash some water on his face here and vomit. Just then, a loud crashing occurs, and the barman assumes that uh, the storm probably just knocked a tree over onto the building or something. Next up, an info page, and it's about the Mutant Trauma Support Group. And, uh, well, this is all about a support group for folks who have suffered from trauma stemming from mutant affairs. I wonder if our hero may have inadvertently stumbled into a meeting of this uh, clandestine organization. Uh, We do have rules for this group. We've got five of them, in fact. One, no hate speech, except toward mutants. Two, no doxing, except for mutants. Three, no spam, because there is an online component to this group. Four, use alpha code when discussing specific mutants, which I'm sure will throw everybody off the scent. Five, vengeance is the best medicine. Take that, penicillin. We rejoin Wolverine as he's about to toss his cookies into a bloody toilet. Too bad he doesn't still have Magneto's helmet, huh? Wait a minute, did I say that this toilet was bloody? Uh, Yes, I did. This toilet is covered in blood. And just off to the side, we see the source of it. It's that idiot who hit Wolverine with a pool cue a few pages back, and it looks like he's been eviscerated. Our man gets a better look, and he notes that this goofball had a tattoo of the Brotherhood Militia on his neck. I can't place the Brotherhood Militia. They sound familiar. I can't tell you where or when they appeared, but I'm sure they were a thing that existed. It's one of those things that's like... It's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't tell you exactly where they're from. Just then, Officer Jack enters the washroom and discovers the grisly scene. Wolverine tries to explain that the dude was already dead when he got there, but is shot in the neck by a trank dart before he can. Wolverine wakes up and he finds himself chained to a chair. It's made pretty clear here that our man did, in fact, stumble into a meeting of that mutant trauma group. Uh, These goobers, minus the cop, know that Logan is Wolverine, and also know that he's a mutant. We learn that he's stopped by the Red Tavern every week, once or twice a week, trying to, quote, play human, in their words. They declare him guilty of whatever it is he did, and prepare to consider sentencing via, quote, frontier justice. Officer Jack recognizes that Logan, as a mutant, has... Diplomatic immunity, the laws of Canada do not apply. But the trauma group, I mean, this is is frontier justice. They ain't hearing none of that. Logan then recognizes the Joker-looking guy as a patient from the Dunwich Sanatorium, which stemmed out of a storyline in Wolverine colon Weapon X, which was a series I never read from about ten years ago from when they were trying to... Like, they were trying to put four or five regular ongoing Wolverine books on the shelves every single month. Could you imagine what a horrible time that was? The Joker guy then eats a fly, which I guess is all the proof we need. The group decides that uh, since Wolverine is basically unkillable, they're just going to drop him into the icy lake, let him freeze, and live out his life sentence as though he's Captain America after World War II. And so, out to the lake we go. 
And it's here that we see our cover boy, our other cover boy, Omega Red. He's kind of lurking. And hey, that's a two Ben Percy books in a row with Omega Red on the cover. And hell, they actually both have Red in their story titles as well. I, I guess Marvel's really banking on us buying all of these books, aren't they? Okay, back on the ice. The barman fills Logan in on his secret origin. You see, back in the long ago, he was tending bar in Madripoor. Logan was involved in a bar fight, which resulted in this fella's wife being cracked in the head with a thrown chair. She would die a week later from the resulting blood clot. Which, yeah, I can totally see this dude wanting to get his pound of flesh out of Wolverine. And, uh, you know, for such a sobering revelation, our hero really doesn't seem to care. (laughs) He's not apologetic. He doesn't express any regret. He kind of just shrugs his shoulders, takes it in stride, which, uh, I mean, this is the guy we're rooting for. All right. Uh, Wolverine then turns to the old broad to ask what her story is, and uh, she's somehow tied in with Gorgon, or Gorgon, the captain of Krakoa who appeared to have, like, somehow snuck into the X-Books without me ever noticing. She says that he has mommy issues. Gorgon, that is. I don't know if that means that she is his mother or that he is a lover of hers. I... Don't think I really need to know or want to know. So with everything said, the ice where Wolverine sits is carved into with a chainsaw. They tell him his final sin will have been killing poor Fred over in the turlet. He stands firm that he had nothing to do with that. Then he, com- then he catches a familiar scent in the air, which causes him to freak the F out. Just then, Officer Jack's severed head bounces onto the ice. Uh-oh. Wolverine pleads with the barman to unchain him. Then the Joker-looking guy gets impaled by a tentacle. Then the old bag and the barman get impaled as well, and uh, duh, it's Omega Red. Arcady smashes up the ice, causing Wolverine to plummet into the drink. Now it looks like Omega is either holding him down there or pulling him back up, but we're going to have to wait until next issue to find out which. And it's worth noting, we got vampires on the ice too. That is Wolverine, volume, whatever the hell this is, number four. Next episode, Cable number three. Really looking forward to that. But let's talk about this issue. Let's talk about Wolverine number four. And I really enjoyed it. I can't believe I'm saying that. But uh, this was just like a really creepy, fun story. And I'm a really big fan of Bogdanovic, uh, who I feel fit the tone of this story a pitch perfectly. As much as I love Adam Cubitt's work, Victor was definitely a better fit for a story of this sort. I came into this one expecting more of what we got with the second half of the first issue, which, if you ask me, was underwhelming at best. This chapter, for the most part, feels almost completely detached from that story, and that is to its benefit. We got Wolverine having a run-in with some weirdo civilians, who just so happen to know who he really is, and they hate him for it. I I mean, that's a pretty neat thing. Especially when juxtaposed with the idea that Wolverine has been spouting on about how complacent, relaxed, and uncareful mutants have become since Krakoa became a thing. He's been saying that since since Jump Street, really. Just, I think it was X-Force number one, where he and Beast were uh, chatting after Beast got attacked by that monster on the island, that, that, that... I, I, I guess we can call it a beast. Beast was attacked by a beast on the island, and Wolverine was using that as a soapbox moment to say, like, hey, we're getting too soft. 
And here he is, he pretty much failed to follow his own advice And now he's paying for it Now I've talked a time or two About parts of a book that we've discussed Feeling like the first ten minutes of a Twilight Zone And this one definitely falls into that mold Only, unlike many other books This issue doesn't really lose that eerie and uncanny vibe It's really a good story, though uh, Maybe I'm a little bit lax on my internal scoring system Simply because I expected so little out of it to begin with Whatever the case, I was pleasantly surprised by what we got here Until the last couple of pages, of course Because that more or less reminded me that Yeah, eventually we're going to have to deal with those damn vampires Um, Though, that's something we'll worry about another day (laughs) You know, for now I'll just be happy that I read an issue of Wolverine And really enjoyed myself So uh, I'm hopeful for more like this As with a lot of the books that I'm keen on There really isn't a whole lot more to say, right? It's just, I liked it And uh, this is another case of that So that's all I got to say about Wolverine number 4 But before we get out of here, let's hop into the mailbag We're going to start with Damien who's talking about X-Factor number 1 he says, I, would, I feel like I should start by apologizing for falling behind in my ex-lapsed listening. It felt really weird to hear an episode without my feedback. It's been a bit of a mad month work-wise, and I had much less time to listen and reply. It doesn't help that we're into the period where I was only buying Marauders, so I have to actually go and read each issue on Unlimited before I listen. Ne- never worry about that. I mean, I, I'm always going to be here. <laughs> At least for the foreseeable future. These shows will always be here. I know... I know life can get busy, especially around the holidays it's a, it's a busy time, right? So, I mean, never worry about that But I am very, very happy to hear from you uh, Damien continues I've seen a lot of online comments about X-Factor Most of which herald it as the best of the X-Books And I really must be missing something as my response was more mixed And yeah, I'm right there with you uh, The hype for this book going into it um, was Was a... One of those, I was like almost too good to be true Because everybody was just talking so highly of it And usually for me, I mean it it could go one of two ways here It could actually be a fantastic book Or it could be a book written by someone who's active on social media And so everybody tells them whatever they do is the best thing in the world Because they like the engagement We've seen cases of both of those things So uh, I didn't know exactly what to expect I had high hopes Um... And for the most part, really, really enjoyed it Uh, Damien continues As you say, Williams has gathered a strong team of characters who play off each other well I also quite enjoyed some of the jokes, even though I am far from being an edgy teen Dakin's use of his sexuality as a replacement for a personality is something I've seen in young men who want to shock people There are unsettling elements to his pheromone power Can someone who is under his influence consent in any meaningful way? It seems the Star Fox, Star Fox problem might reoccur, and that's not even not something I even thought about. But it is uh, certainly a, a slippery slope, right? If uh, if Dakin or Dak, how do we say his name? I don't know. If Wolverine's son <laughs> is uh, is coercing folks into being attracted to him and wanting to do things with him, then. What does that mean? I don't want to say any four-letter words, but I mean, what does that mean? It's it is a scary situation. I do remember that coming up in uh, in people's commentaries on on Star Fox from over the over in the Avengers. It's a it's a 
it's a damn slippery slope and I mean, it is current year, so maybe it will be a topic they'll tackle. Who knows? I don't know that I actually want to read that story. But, uh, eh, you know, what, what, what can we do, right? And I appreciate the idea that uh, he's using this as a replacement for a personality because I think that's something that's easy to be done whether or not you're talking about sexuality, whether or not you're talking about anything in particular. It's easy to identify as something, right? Um, maybe by your occupation. You know, maybe that is what you are. If you're a teacher, a lawyer, an officer, that becomes what your personality is. It's what you lead with. With Dakin, or Dakin, how do we say this guy's name? With this guy, um, it feels kind of like that. But at the same time, we had other people uh, referring to him as, as the bisexual something or another like twice in two word balloons in the same panel. So uh, he's, I think he's like given as good as he's getting here. He's using the powers. Maybe it's, maybe he thinks that that's expected of him since that's how people are greeting him. It's like, oh, you're the bisexual mutant. I, which (laughs) feels very, very, um, I don't know, awkward. I'm not sure. Maybe it's because I just don't talk to people in real life that I just don't, maybe I forgot how people talk. But this just didn't feel like natural conversation. Then again, I'm <laughs> I am by no means a normal conversationalist, so uh, we take that you know for what it's worth. Uh, Damien continues. Overall, I enjoyed this, but it didn't live up to the hype. I'm intrigued to see where it goes next. And by the way, you suggested that only 40-year-old men read comics. That isn't necessarily true, as I am 46. So, <laughs> point well taken, Damien. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I agree. Uh, I enjoyed it. it. Didn't live up to the hype that I had uh, that I'd heard, um, which is unfortunate, right? It's it's unfair to not. I think it's unfair to hold that against a book. But it's also so hard not to, right? If someone keeps telling you you need to see this movie or you need to listen to this album or you need to read this book and that's all you hear over and over and over again, anything short of absolutely mind-blowing perfection is going to feel like it's coming up short. So it's kind of weird, I guess. But uh, you know, taken as an issue and as a first issue... I thought it was great. Um, Taken for what I expected it to be, a little lacking, unfortunately. But we will, uh, you know, hold on to our optimism and we'll see how this goes uh, as we move into, you know, the X of Tens era. So uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on X Factor. Uh, Next, we've got two messages from Andrew Franklin about Giant Size Phantom X. He starts with, what? who is worse at aping Grant Morrison, Jonathan Hickman or Gerard Way? Oof, that's a toughie. Um, for folks who are unfamiliar with Gerard Way, uh, as a comics writer, he did the recent uh, couple of volumes, or couple of arcs, I guess, of Doom Patrol over at DC's Young Animal. He's actually the curator of the Young Animal line, which I take it to mean as though... Uh, uh, he's like an executive producer because I don't think he has much to do with anything over there, other than you know his name and his face being kind of the thing of the Young Animal line. Because uh, the thing about the Young Animal line is everybody was able to get their books out except him, so I, I don't know how much he actually had to do with any of it. 
His Doom Patrol is, as I've said before, Grant Morrison Tribute Band. Uh, Jonathan Hickman is the Grant Morrison Tribute Band who thinks he can do it better than Grant Morrison? Maybe? I mean, is that unfair to say? Uh, that's kind of the... That's kind of the feeling I get. Um, Gerard Way was annoying on Doom Patrol, but I don't think he tried to reinvent the wheel, where Hickman, I think, has taken a lot of the Morrison, Morrisonian elements here and being like, well, I could do this better. And, of course, I'm completely projecting there. Like I said, I don't know the man. Never will. So, who knows? But uh, who's worse at aping him? I think it's a tie. <laughs> they just do it in different ways. Andrew continues, If I knew more about Phantom X, maybe the story would have meant anything to me. Or maybe if I wasn't in in an insomnia fog right now, I would have appreciated what this was doing. I think we're supposed to assume that the two identical clones from the beginning of the story are Phantom X and the double he keeps going to see in the world. Except the babies had shapes on their forehead, one a circle and one a diamond. The double, the double he sees in the world doesn't have a shape on his forehead, and we never actually see Phantom X's forehead in this issue. I don't know if we ever have. I can't remember. <laughs> I really can't remember if we've ever seen Phantom X's head. This, that's how checked out on this character I am. I know we've seen, like, his mouth because he's eaten. I think he ate in this issue. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if he has the little, the little Dr. Manhattan circle or the Mr. Sinister Diamond. I don't know. Andrew continues. So is Phantom X the reject? That ju- that doesn't jive with what we're told about in his background, being raised in the world as a super soldier. I don't know if what we're supposed to be seeing here is... I don't know if this is a case where we're supposed to assume that Phantom X is lying 90% of the time. Like we never know exactly what's legit with him. Ah. Uh, Hmm, I because I feel like this is like the second or third origin story we're seeing for him and and we don't see him very often but every time we see him it seems to be playing with the concept that his origin is a little a little bit more tweaked than it pre- was previously. And again, I'm not I'm not super knowledgeable on Phantom X. Uh, I know for a while there were like two or three of them running around. One of them was a woman. I it was very, very strange stuff. Um, so yeah, I my only my head cannon, I guess, uh, is that Phantom X is a liar, and anything that we're getting from his mouth is a lie, and everything we're seeing that isn't being told by Phantom X is real. Maybe I don't know. Andrew continues. Is he the one they kept? Uh, The story of being raised in the world could all be lies. Hey, there you go. Or it might hint at the reject being an anti-Phantom X if he was kept alive and raised outside the world. Again, this could be old news from stories I've not read, and I agree. It could very well be old news from stories that either neither of us have read or I read and forgot, because it is possible. Uh, He continues, but I can't really get over the fact that the diamond on the baby's forehead looks exactly like Mr. Sinister's. Is this some big Hickman reveal? Will we get some sinister retcons? Do I just need sleep? Should I have read a wiki on Phantom X before reading this? Probably. Yeah, I thought about that too. Uh, (laughs) I try really hard not to to go to the wikis because, uh, well, for a couple of reasons. 
First of all, um, I've got stupid pride in that I think I should know things that I really have no right knowing. That's what makes me such a uh, difficult student. You know, I'll start a class on anything. Uh, I'll uh, I'll start a class on uh, uh, theoretical uh, learning styles, and I'll be annoyed with myself on day one for not knowing every single line in the book. It's one of my... It's a Chris problem. (laughs) It's a Chris problem in that... Uh, sometimes I'm too dumb to realize that I'm dumb And uh, sometimes when I'm reading a comic and I don't get something I really dig my heels in and I refuse to check the wiki Because I wouldn't have had a wiki growing up And I should be able to read these things without going to a wiki, right? Isn't that kind of the point? Wikis should be for research purposes only Not to follow a book that you just bought, right? Everything that you should... Need from a book Should be in the book you're reading You shouldn't have to have an internet connection To understand the book you just paid for It's uh, Chris problems Definitely Chris problems uh, Andrew continues Not much to say about the art that hasn't been said before It's very good and kept me engaged in the book Hickman is still bad at comedy But the aim beekeeper at the end Made me chuckle a bit So until the world awakens and achieves a consciousness expansion that ascends linear space-time and melds with the cosmic unconscious, birthing a new awareness on all living beings, make mine X-lapsed. But that's not all from Andrew, because he also sent a message after listening to the episode here. And he says, Great episode covering giant-sized Phantom X. One thing I really dug was your comparison of Phantom X to Gambit, which makes sense. Mysterious, French-adjacent, trying too hard to be cool. I didn't make that connection while I was reading this, but I did keep thinking about Phantom X being a Morrison spin on Longshot. And first of all, thank you for... I, I Like I said a couple times now, I was worried that folks would really get annoyed at me <laughs> comparing Phantom X to Gambit. Uh, Andrew continues. Uh, this is regarding a Morris, Morrisonian spin on Longshot. He says, they're both outsiders, even among the X-Men. Both are from strange places removed from normal reality where the rules of our world don't apply. Both of these places are depicted as chaotic and surreal. They were both bred to be highly skilled, athletic, acrobatic combatants for a specific task that they rebel against. Both of their personal stories are hyper-focused on their place of origin, getting back to it and freeing it, destroying it, or whatever. Both have identity issues, either not knowing their full origins or being aware that they've been fed many lies about it. It might be a stretch, but this story kept making me think of Longshot and how good a Morrison take on him would have been in the 90s. Excellent points. Excellent points that I never even considered. Um, They do share a lot of similarities there. It's funny, Longshot is a character I've been trying to better familiarize myself with for a little while now. Um... As many of you know, I came into the X-Men after Longshot was, you know, he was gone already. Uh, he showed up uh, He showed up for like a two-part Mojo story, and then you really didn't see him. Um, I'm trying to even think when he, when he came back in a big way, I think it wouldn't be for many, many years. Uh, I think it was the Peter David X-Factor was like Longshot's return as a regular, or like a regular fixture in an X-Book. Because he just wasn't a thing for most of my collecting career. Of course, I've gone back and I've read the the Claremont run, which you know featured Longshot for bits and pieces, and I've read the uh, 
the miniseries, the uh, Nascenti and uh, Art Adams uh, miniseries, which I actually was just giving a reread to because I, like I said, I'm trying to refamiliarize myself with this guy, and just because uh, he's a character that is. I don't know, it's like a character, he's kind of a side character, but he's also very fascinating. He's he's one of those characters that makes me nostalgic for a time that I was never around, which is a weird thing to say, especially considering how little he loomed during my time as a reader. But, uh, you know, people's recollections of Longshot, and people's... Um, the fact that people really remember uh, and, and hold fondly the, uh, the era of X-Men where Longshot... Played prominently Makes me want to know more about him And so uh, I was Just recently reading through the miniseries again And uh, everything you said checks out It's it's very funny I never even put the two and two together But uh, thank you for that And thank you for sharing your thoughts On the uh, Giant Size Phantom X episode uh, We're going to wrap up With a theory from Evan Bevins He says This isn't as hot a take as Quote, the X-Men are all clones And uh, this goes back to an earlier theory that Evan floated, saying that uh, all of the X-Men are actually in stasis uh, underground in Krakoa, and all the characters we've been seeing die over and over and over again are just clones, which is a very interesting theory. A very interesting theory. But Evan says, this isn't as hot a take as that, but it just occurred to me listening to you talk about broken toys and the obvious reboot mechanism back in episode 65... That Destiny seemed to have a knack for leaving cryptic clues and knowing a lot more than she conveyed. What if, in telling Mora that she only had a certain number of lives left, she lied? I don't remember the numbers, but she said, You've got ten, maybe eleven. What if she subtracted one? What if she gets Mora convinced that she's on her last life? She's gotta go for broke, and we get Hox Pox Docs. Then, Mora is born anew, which wouldn't necessarily require wiping everything away, just everything from House of X number one on. Destiny comes to her and says, now that you got that out of your system, here's what we're going to do. And there's the next era of X-Men. That seemed more exciting when I first started typing this message, but at least that's the way you can hit a reset, where at least the lessons Mora learned in Hox Pox Docs will count. And, uh... That's an excellent theory. That's a great theory. And I think... I don't remember which episode. I wish I could point to the episode, but I think we floated something sort of like that. Not not as specific as that, but we did pick up on the cues from Destiny uh, in her face-off with Mora uh, way back in... What was it? House of X number two, where she says, yeah, you've got ten lives, maybe eleven. And then we know we're on Mora's 10th life now, and we talked about what might happen when Mora dies. Like, is this, uh, does nothing happen? Does she just die? Does the Marvel Universe reset? Or is she born again because Destiny was off by one? I think there's a, there's a lot of ways that can go, and I think it's brilliant that we do have so many options here. Um, you know, I, I, you know me, I've been giving Hickman a lot of, a lot of clapback for high concept. But the idea of a backdoor that can go any number of different ways is really a brilliant, a brilliant concept for a story like this that is so um, different from what came before and something that'll be so much 
it'll be quite difficult to raise the stakes much more than this. At least organically or naturally or without, you know, bringing Onslaught back or something. But uh, really good theory. Really good theory. I'm, I would almost bet that we're going to have s- something along those lines, right? Um, that's the coolest thing about about the, the doing this show and reading these books is that we don't have the answers and there are so many viable options out there and so many interesting ways it could go that we're just going to keep it's just going to keep percolating in our heads until it finally does happen right um it's it seems like everything is on the table and everything could make sense um and it's being framed perfectly to make sense no matter which way they go with it so thank you so much for that theory and if anybody else has any theories please please feel free to let me know and as a matter of fact, we can go right into plugs right now, uh, because that was the last uh, piece of mail for this episode. So if you would like to get a hold of me and maybe send me a theory or two, feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or at 90sxmen at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisoninfiniteearths.com and xlapsed.chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can talk to us about anything you want. Theories included over on Facebook at our little group, 90s X-Men. And you can listen to the entire Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. So that'll do it for today. want to thank everyone for sharing their time with me today. And uh, once again, wish everybody a happy new year. Hope every- I hope this episode reaches everybody happy, healthy, and safe. So, uh, so until next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh